All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, hopefully you had a chance to pick out a pick up a handout if you'd like to follow along and take notes, and then I'll give you a... Uh, you may have noticed there isn't much of an outline in it. I'll, I'll give you that as we go, for sure. Um, a few just kind of housekeeping things this morning, just so you can know, um, and we've we've been announcing a bit in the bulletin, but now it's all getting real. So this will be our our last Sunday in the series on prayer for Discipleship Hour, and then we'll be taking a a rest break for four Sundays. And that's it's a there are multiple reasons for that. Um, one is to give the worship and AV team a later start in the mornings. They get here bright and early and run through everything before we're all here. Um, the other is we have Sunday school teachers who faithfully week in and week out prep, and it's good to give them a break. Uh, and then also it will be study month for Ryan and me. And um, we call it study month not as some like code word for vacation. Uh, it's actually not that. <laughs> Um, but instead of the time that we'd normally spend prepping discipleship hour and sermons, we use that to study ahead and be prepping other things that we're going to be teaching in the fall and um, to come. Some of the things that we cover, like in Romans um, and then other classes that we're teaching, take in-depth study that sometimes in the week-to-week flow, it's great to be able to dive in on some of those um, maybe more controversial or more nuanced things, and it takes... Um, a set time of study. So that's that's some of the reasoning for the next four weeks. So we won't be having um, discipleship hour uh, for the next four Sundays. We'll be having some guest preachers. I'll, I'll mention that um, in the announcements this morning. So uh, if you show up at nine, you'll get to see what worship rehearsal is like, which is pretty cool too. Um, but we'll be meeting for refreshment time and then having um, the service at 10.30. So that's kind of a that's what's going on the next four weeks. So, um, Okay, so today we're continuing on in our series about prayer. So um, it's been a six-week study, which so much could be said about that. But I think it's just good. We want to become people who are ever-growing in our prayer life. And um, so being oriented toward that by thinking periodically about these things is just part of the helpful rhythm and flow of discipleship as we think about it. And so Ryan started out by talking about the Lord's Prayer. That gives us a really helpful handle for how we can think about categories to pray in, um, ways to approach praying. And then we spent two weeks looking at Paul's prayers, both in Colossians 1 and then also in Ephesians 1. And so those passages, again, have some handles in them, um, different participles, different um, phrases that just latching onto them can be things that help vary our prayer life or give us tools of thinking about what are things that we can bring to the Lord in prayer. Uh, within all of this, though, is the the broader understanding that prayer is is fostering a relationship with God and it's pouring out the entirety of our hearts to God. It's not that everything has to fall in some perfect, neat and tidy box to be worth praying. Um, God loves to hear what's on our hearts. He knows those things and voicing them to him is something that he powerfully uses in our lives and then in the lives of others. Uh, last week then, Ryan talked about praying our hate or thinking through how the imprecatory psalms in particular can shape um, our pouring out our anger to God and 
um, the usefulness of that. I thought that was just um, really helpful material to be thinking about growing in and processing together. So for our last week, we're going to talk about um, talking to God about our sin. That's a broader way of saying confession as a part of our prayer. Um, But I, I think it's helpful to think about it as talking to God about our sin. And so we'll walk through that. Um, I'll just tell you up front what's going on outline-wise, because that might put some of you at ease um, for pacing your sheet. Um, So introduction is printed there. I wasn't sure what the headings would be after that. And so here's what they are. And if if you want to pace it, I would just do one, two, three. Okay, one, two, three. If you don't care, write wherever you want. It doesn't matter. I'm fine with that. Um, we'll collect them when we're done and see what you need to confess uh, afterward. But anyhow, so one, two, three. I'll say these things, but we're going to cover just confession broadly, kind of in introductory things on the front. And then really the rest of the class will be looking at why confess our sin, why have prayers of confession. Um, the first thing is, to say the same about how God views our sin, second, to grow in gratitude for God's grace, and then third, to grow in grace toward others. And so that's just the overarching um, framework we'll be working in. So um, I'm going to hide that for a minute, and I'll bring it back. Is that okay, or is that going to make someone need to confess something? <laughs> oh, this, we'll see how old these get by the end of uh, by the end of it. So. Um, why don't I pray, and then we'll we'll dive into the introduction, just kind of thinking about confession in general, and then walking through why it's helpful. And then, uh, just so you know, throughout, I'll be opening it up for your input as well, um, just of how this has been helpful, what you struggle with, what questions you may have uh, as we grow in it together. So, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask your help this morning, that you'd help us as we think about this topic. We thank you that you welcome us to come to you in prayer, that it's something that you delight in, that we can call you our Father, and all that that means of the way we're forgiven in Christ and your beloved children. We acknowledge that we still struggle with sin, and we pray that as we think about that, that you would use it to help us grow in our appreciation of who you are and the salvation that we have through your Son. So help us as we think about this. May your spirit use the word um, to encourage us in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, just by way of introduction, it's helpful to realize that prayer involves confession. One of the categories of things to pray about is confessing our sin. Uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, it walks through so many different doctrines of the Christian life and unpacks them in great ways. Question 178 is a great question. What is prayer? And it says this, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So we're offering up heart cares and desires to God. Along with that is confessing our sin, and along with that is thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, gratitude for the forgiveness that he has. So those things all go together. But that's just such a great, succinct uh, definition, and they have some proof texts there as well. If we think about, um, do we see this in Scripture? 
The answer is yes. We see it all over the place. And I can give you just two passages you could think about. Well, there are lots throughout this, but Psalm 32 verse 5 is a key forgiveness confession passage before God after David's um, sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Psalm 32 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, speaking to God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We just see this pattern from David. We bring our sins in confession to God. Um, There's a receiving of forgiveness for those sins. Um, Also then in Daniel 9. Daniel 9 is this big, special in many ways, prayer that Daniel does on behalf of the people. But within it, we find all kinds of helpful things to pray. And Daniel 9, verses 4 to 11 of that prayer, I'm not going to read the entirety of it, but verses 4 to 11 are just confession. Um, And it's corporate confession. And let me just read verses 4 and 5 so you get the flavor of it. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So we see right away at the beginning of his prayer, acknowledgement of the greatness of God, but then also confession of the ways he and his people have turned from God. So I don't think I really had to prove that to you, but just in case, prayer involves confession, right? It's something that we see biblically. Well, what does it mean to confess our sins? Um, What does it mean to confess? If we think about what the word itself means in both its Hebrew and Greek uses, at the core we find this, to say the same about. I find that so helpful. (laughs) I find that so helpful. To say the same about something. Um, and as soon as I say that, part of what you realize as you think about what Scripture is saying is there are two types of confessions. There is the confession, uh, confession of faith. We're saying the same about our faith. Um, and that's what we see in some of the confessional documents that we that have come outside of Scripture later. Is this is the church saying we say the same about what the Bible says about these things? But then, if we think about it just in its biblical usage, it's confessing the name of Christ, it's confessing the faith, it's confessing the teachings, and so um, part of what's happening is we're saying we're saying the same as other believers about what God says about us and our condition and what God says about salvation and what others say. So confession of faith, but then the other one, not surprisingly, is confession of sin. And that's what we're focusing on today. But I I think it's just helpful to realize when we see confess, it's coming from saying the same thing about something. We could say the same thing about what we believe or, or in our faith, but then confession of sin is saying the same thing as God says about our sin. So we could think of confessing our sin as coming to see and coming to agree with 
God's perspective of our sin. When I think about it, I think of kind of two steps. We're coming to see it, and then secondly, we're coming to agree, to agree with it. And both of those things are necessary, right? If we don't see our sin, how God views it, it's going to be really hard to agree about it. You could also see it, oh, that's really bad, but not agree. Or you could see what it is and then say, I don't really think it's that bad. (laughs) So um, all of those things are needed together, and that's what we're working toward in confession. And then, so what is confession? What does it mean to confess our sins? And then still in the introduction, what types of confession of sin are there? I think this is helpful just to think about for a moment before we go on to explore um, praying our our confessions to God. But there are four types of confession that we see in Scripture. The first is to God alone. So confessing to God and to God alone. We do this because our sins, all of them, are ultimately against him. So confession can always have this baseline confessing it to God as a part of it. Um, this is described in Psalm 32, 1 John 1, 9, Proverbs 28.13 gives this principle, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And mercy first and foremost from God, but then there could be horizontal as well. So to God alone, this can be made silently. Um, Sometimes it's made publicly um, or out loud. Daniel 9, Daniel's doing this out loud in front of people, confessing sins to God. We do this corporately in the worship service sometimes. It can be general. Psalm 51 is very general about sin. Um, But then it can also be specific. Um, Psalm 32 is a bit more specific. Um, Once sin is recognized, it can be specifically confessed. Something that's interesting, this this comes from um, some theological articles on confession, but it, it also says it may even extend to that which has not been discovered, but is to believe, but is believed to exist because of recognized inner depravity. So we can come to God not even knowing what the specific sins are, but just knowing that with our inner depravity that still remains and being, is being battled with grace, um, there are things to confess. Psalm 19:12 says, "Who can discern his errors?" Declare me innocent from hidden faults. We think of Psalm 39, search me and know me. Is there some unclean way in me? That can be part of our confession to God too, is I know my heart is twisted and um, I may not even be sure of the ways of it, but I can bring those things to God. So one type of confession is to God alone. A second type of confession is to one's neighbor. This happens when we've wronged somebody, right? Luke 7.14, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. Like this is the process of we've sinned against someone, we come to them in confession and repentance. Um, Matthew 5.23 talks about the priority of this. Leave your gift at the altar and go make things right. Confessing, repenting, seeking forgiveness. So to God alone, to one's neighbor, third, to a spiritual advisor or minister of the word or priest in a confessional. 
Is everyone awake? Okay. That last part I was just putting in there because we'll talk about the difference. But think about this, though. To a spiritual advisor or minister of the word, it's, it's sometimes um, uh, appropriate to confess our sins to someone else who's maybe a spiritual mentor to us or something like that. Do we see this in Scripture? Yeah. Um, David to Nathan, right? Nathan confronts David, and then David says to Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. He's confessing this to Nathan, who's serving in this prophetic role. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Um, We see this with John the Baptist, people coming out and confessing their sins to him, right? But then if you say, well, that's Old Covenant stuff, um, it's interesting that the Ephesians came to Paul in Acts 19.18. It says this, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So Paul's there. And people are coming to him and they're confessing ways that they have been sinning against God and divulging these things to him. Um, And so that's an appropriate thing for believers to do with one another. And um, we see that happening often in pastoral ways as well. Um, This is different from the Roman Catholic sacrament of penance or confession. It goes by different names. Um, in the Roman Catholic um, sacrament of that, there is a call to do this with all of our sins, privately to a priest, and there's a private pronouncement of absolution. Um, that's, that's not what we're seeing unfolding here scripturally. This may happen with a pastor or an elder or someone who's discipling you or whatever, um, but the goal is that you would then speak those sins to God and to the other person if confession needs to happen in that way. And then that there would be reminding of what is true in the gospel. So the principles that are involved there in penance or confession, a lot of those principles are okay, but the practice of it and the one-on-one nature of it and then the sacramental tone of it we find beyond what Scripture says. Um, And then the fourth way confession may happen is to the entire church. Um, Secret sins are often dealt with secretly. Public sins dealt with publicly. That's one thing. Um, Certain sins need to be acknowledged before the entire church. We see this practice in 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2. And so sometimes um, because of the nature of the sins, because of the process of church discipline, it becomes necessary for these things to be made um, public and dealt with that way. So those are some introductory things to just kind of think about confession in general. It's saying the same as, it's helping us see our sin, uh, agree with God about our sin, And then it can take on different facets depending on the relationship it finds itself in. But what we want to focus on today then is um, confessing to God in prayer, the prayer aspect of confession. And so that brings us to inside our handout, why, why confess? And the first reason I would say is it's going back to that definition, right? We do it to say the same about how God views our sin. We want to go through this process of seeing and agreeing with how God 
sees our actions. Um, when we think of the Lord's Prayer, Ryan mentioned this, but we didn't dive into it um, a lot. But when Jesus taught us how to pray, part of that prayer is forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. That's really a way of bringing confession into our relationship with God. Um, again, the Westminster Larger Catechism walks through like what all is going on in the Lord's Prayer. And in question 194, part of what it says is in this petition, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we view ourselves guilty of both original sin, and so part of that's just acknowledging our depravity as a result of what Adam has done. We bring that to God. Um, but then also, we view ourselves guilty of committing actual sins. And this posture of realizing that that debtor metaphor applies to us because of who we are in Adam and because of specific things we do, that puts us in the right posture before God. That's why Jesus says, pray, forgive us our debts. Um, there's a daily acknowledgement of, I am continuing to incur a debt before God with my sin. Now we're going to talk about that debt has been paid, right? But part of the right posture before God is acknowledging that. Why is it helpful to stop and actually think about real sins that we have done and to actually name those things before God? How about I pause and just open it up for that? I have reasons written down that I've been thinking about, but um, just a few caveats with the question. We are going to talk about how this spurs us on toward gratitude. Um, that's point two, and then it flows out in point three. Um, so just know that all that's there. This isn't some like masochistic, just like diving in and just leaving ourselves in misery. But the question I have is, why is it good to spend time, both it could be a momentary quick thing, and then sometimes maybe a more prolonged examination of the sins that we have committed before God? How would that be beneficial to us in the Christian life? Yeah, microphone and Caleb, thank you. What does it do in us that's good? Why would God want us to do it? Any thoughts? Well, I think when we take time to think about it, because I... I actually don't like to think about it, to yeah. tell you the truth. Um, but when you really do sit and look at an incident or a pattern, it really helps you like sort of face yourself and not like be hypocritical. You get the depths of your sin and how much you need a Savior. I know we're going to go into the, yeah. the gratefulness. I don't want to go there because you sure. said to wait. <laughs> but that is part of it. But it really helps you just take a look at yourself and then how you're harming others. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing to give that to the Lord, that he can repair that brokenness in your heart, and then also you can repair your relationships as well. But yeah. you do need to think about it and face it. Right. Yeah, part, I mean, there was so much great in what you said, but part of what I hear in that too is the weight of it. 
Um, do you have the experience sometimes where you come to the Lord's Supper and we know we're supposed to like feel the weight of our sin and the wonder of gratitude of that being forgiven, but it's just kind of this nebulous thing, like, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I have this overall uh, feeling. I know I was kind of uh, before God. I know I didn't do all the perfect stuff. Um, confession brings that into concrete things that then take on a weightiness um, that then brings us to a corresponding like levity or um, gratitude. But yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Yeah, Kevin. Oh, already has it. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, um, I think being specific, it's the same reason that we have the Ten Commandments. God could have just said, don't do bad stuff, do good stuff. <laughs> but that. for us to know that there are different ways in which we offend him and to feel the weight of that offense as against God. Yeah. And then also, secondarily, to wrestle in myself knowing that this is now alien to my true new nature yeah. and to kind of put it away from myself and say, that is not who I am in Christ. Right. And repudiate it and you know, lay it before God and say, help me. I am a sinner. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, have you, I mean, it sounds like you've been noticing that with the last few weeks as we've been talking about the battle with sin and how we view ourselves in Romans. And as we specifically see what we're doing, it also lets us specifically say, this is not who I am anymore. Um, this thing has been forgiven. This thing is being changed by the Spirit. I don't have to do this. Um, the other thing that you mentioned there, Kevin, is is the posture of it that it changes, right? It creates this posture when you said, help me not to do that, right? Um, when we're realizing I did this or I have been doing this or, you know, especially as we as this is a habit of what we do, I think most of us will find we find ourselves saying the same things a lot. <laughs> we have particular bents of sins that we do. Um, and it, as we're acknowledging that, what does it do? It forces us to a position, well, it should, Lord willing, force us into a position where we say, I need help for this. I need grace for this. I need forgiveness. And what posture does God most of all want us to be in? One of dependent asking, one of seeing our need and coming to him. And part of what confession does is it brings it into the forefront of our minds I need help for that. I just did this thing again. <laughs> um, I need grace. I need God. He wants me to come to him as father to seek the grace that Christ has secured for me and the spirit is now working in me. So helps us see the weight. It creates this posture of humility and dependence. Anything else that comes to mind? Caleb. You have the microphone. I have the mic. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically, for me, it's just, if I can't think of any other reason to confess or to pray, it's just that we're commanded to. Mm. And it can be black and white as that sometimes. It's like, yeah. we're, just like we're commanded to get baptized when we believe or other things. It's like, this is just another command for us to, to pray and to confess our sins. Yeah, that's a good point. Even if uh, we can't think of all the pragmatic reasons of why it's helpful 
God says to do it. Jesus taught us to pray this way. That, that's, that's helpful. Um, one other thing that it, it does is it helps us understand our own hearts. Um, I think that's an important part of the Christian life. Not that we want to um, become just navel-gazing is what's often said, um, just considering your own belly button, I guess, or inner workings of your heart. But on the other hand, as we're seeking to mortify the flesh, as we're seeking to battle sin, as we're seeking to grow in holiness, there's a lot to be said for understanding why our heart is working that way, what it runs toward. Um, And so first of all, confession has us say, what is it that I just did? So, And naming that specifically in biblical categories. I just was angry. I said harsh words. I was not gentle. I was not patient. I was impatient. I was filled with lust. I was not trusting God. I was fearful, sinfully fearful, right? We can have the emotion, but anyhow. Um, So you're naming all those things. So it helps us stop and actually say, what was that that just happened? Not, I'm not perfect. So that's good. But then with that, there can be a follow-up question. Why is it that my heart is so tempted to run toward this thing? What about what just happened made that seem like the thing to do? Um, What about my life story has oriented me toward this way of sinning? Um, These aren't questions that we answer in a day, in an afternoon. I think there's something that we come back to again and again in the Christian life. And as we gain insight into those things, it does help us in the sanctification battle, right? Because we start to see, oh, when these things are unfolding, often because when things unfolded this way, I've conditioned myself to turn this way, Um, It can help us draw back the battle lines from, oh, there's that sin again, to, oh, this is a situation where I tend to be tempted and I can be praying for grace now. Um, But that's not going to come unless we've stopped to do the work of what's going on in our hearts. And often that work takes someone else helping us think through it too because our hearts are really tricky to understand. Um, They're deceitful by nature. And deceit means tricky. (laughs) And uh, we think of them in ways that they're not. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart or a person's heart is like deep water. You think of this deep, deep water beneath the ground. But a man of understanding will draw it out, right? That bucket that goes down and pulls it up and can look at what's there and can see, you know, if you think of drilling for a well and then you, you finally tap into water, but you bring the water up and you test the water to see what does this water need, that's part of the idea of like drawing out our hearts as we can look at what comes up from the depths of us and what grace of God is needed um, to bring this to be waters of life, right? Spirit wrought waters of life. And so when it says a man of understanding will draw it out, it's not saying that it has to be just you or it has to be just someone else. It's this understanding works toward 
the drawing out of our heart. And so um, confession helps us do that, which will also help us better battle our sin. And so as we shared those things, to me, I, I kind of boil it down. There are a bunch, but it helps us understand the weight of our sin. Um, it creates a posture of humility and dependence. If we find ourselves being proud or thinking we don't need God, chances are we're not confessing much. Um, and then also it helps us understand our own hearts for the battle against sin. Like Those are just some, some um, reasons that I think um, help us think about this. You know, it's interesting just as we, and just disclaimer, I'm spending the most time on number one. I, the other two will go a bit quicker. But 1 John 1, nine is a passage that we know really well, right? Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we know that when we come to Christ in faith, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, future, right? And so I think that can be sometimes a dance we do in our head is, do I really need to confess? I mean, Jesus already paid for all of those sins. But then scripture holds forth this pattern saying, first of all, as Caleb said, do this. <laughs> and then second of all, it's saying, this, this is part of the Christian life, is continuing to bring those sins as we become aware of them or as we're even searching for what they are um, and we know it's wrong bringing them before God, this passage doesn't undo the fact that our sins are forgiven in Christ when we turn to him in faith. But John here is talking about what it means to walk in the light. And it's this ethical instruction of the way of darkness being put to death in us and the way of light growing in us. Um, this this way of light that's walking in fellowship with God who is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so what John's doing here in this section is he's showing that if we're coming to God who is light and in him there is no darkness at all, then that's going to cause this process to be growing in us of walking in the light rather than in darkness. And what he's calling us toward, and right before it, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. We deceive ourselves. We're calling God a liar, right? There are two ways of living. John kind of boils lots of things down to there's kind of two ways. And what he's doing here is saying um, that the that one way is denying our sin and continuing to kind of live in the darkness of not acknowledging that it's there. But the walking in the light way entails the recognition of our sin and willingness to confess our sin. And when we do, we find God is surely faithful to what he has promised to do and what Jesus has secured for us. Forgiveness is there. But not only forgiveness, but this process of cleansing, this process of making us more holy, comes through this process of bringing these things out of the darkness into the light um, before God. Um, Karen Jobes in her commentary says, clearly John teaches that walking in the light requires ongoing cleansing from sin in order to maintain fellowship with God, not 
relationship with God in a justifying sense, but a fellowship that cannot be sustained if one concludes for whatever reason that one does not have sin and consequently that cleansing is no longer needed. It's this posture of saying, I need cleansing from these things. Um, And that's where, if we just think about confession being saying the same as, it's coming to see our sin, how God views it, and agree with him about it. If we think about this relationally, when we sin against another person and we don't agree about what happened, what we did, and why there's that rift between us, um, that fellowship is hindered, right? <laughs> that that um, There's a distance that's there. The problem with us is not that God doesn't understand what took place and what actually needs to happen and what we did wrong. He already does. But what he wants is for us to contemplate it, to bring it to him, and to say the same about it. And as we do, the the way that fellowship is restored is we are once again reminded of all that's true and just waiting for us to experience it. (laughs) That forgiveness is already there because it's been secured by the blood of Christ. That welcome is there because of Christ. That grace is there to make us more and more hate this and more and more love something else. It's all there. And he's just saying, see it how I see it. Come to me about it. And there can be the sweetness of walking with God when we're saying the same about our sin and our need for his grace. Does that make sense? Um, So hopefully... That gives us one reason of why to confess, saying the same about how God views our sin. Oh, I had one more thing I wanted to say. Um, This can be hard to do, right? You can just sit there sometimes. I mean, we talk about our mind going blank during prayer. Talk about, okay, confess your sin to God, and you sit there and you haven't had enough coffee, and you're just like, I know, bad. (laughs) Um, So there are all kinds of helps for that. The Valley of Vision has some prayers that can be really helpful that way. If this is something that you want to grow in, um, there's this book, Prone to Wander, which is prayers of confession and celebration. It's really a compilation of prayers that um, a, a PCA church used for their time of confession. What's beautiful about this is it has, I believe, 150, and then they're like, go ahead and repeat after that. But all these different um, ways that we sin and need to confess. So like captivated by sin, um, failing to believe God's promises, loving the world, um, um, confession about parents and children, forgetting our hope, um, stubborn blindness, delight in God's faithfulness. And so there are all these um, prayers of confession there that help us unpack words that we could be saying that relate. And then the beauty of it too is it takes us into number two, because for each one it has verses of assurance of pardon that remind us of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so you can see here, I mean, it's just page, page is one of them. You know, you can just do that. And so let me just read a little bit about this. This one's on servanthood. It says, forgive us for our selfish desire to have others serve us and for our love of power and influence. You call us to be servants who lovingly pour out our lives for those around us. Lord, our hearts are deceitful, desperately wicked, and relentlessly self-focused. 
when we do honor, care for, and serve others, we secretly hope that people are watching and noticing so that our humility will be applauded and praised. As a result, our best acts of love toward others are often actually directed toward ourselves as we use them to impress you and build our resumes before a watching world. Forgive us for our very deep sinfulness. Um, so that's just an example. And so, and, and it goes on. And, um, and then it takes us to the work of Christ. It says, precious Savior, you knew that we could never escape our self-love and passion for power and influence. You gave up all power to become weak and helpless. You took on our fra- frail flesh in order to obey and suffer in our place. Thank you for loving weak, poor, helpless, and socially rejected people on our behalf. Um, so see how beautiful that, that is? Um, so that, that's a super helpful tool, prone to wander, um, something you could do. All right, so we want to say the same as God says about our sin, but then that has to take us. Whatever you do, do not stay at step one. It's not Christian. It's not Christian to stay at step one. Um, it's sub-Christian, it's sub-gospel, it's moralism. But it's necessary <laughs> to do that to then get to step two, uh, or the second part, to grow. Why do we confess? To grow in gratitude for God's grace. Um, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21, we'll start there. It says, uh, Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Let's pick a perfect number, right? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And Jesus right there is saying, Peter, it's not about the math. Peter, the goal is not to count. Um, It's about this process of forgiveness. And then Jesus launches into a parable that helps us understand God's forgiving heart toward us and then how we would demonstrate that to others. But for this point, I want us just, just to notice God's forgiving heart toward us in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Let's just stop there. Um, when Jesus said there was a servant who owed him 10,000 talents, people would have burst out loud, who were, burst out laughing out loud who heard this. It's an extraordinary amount of money. Um, 60 million denarii, a denarii being one day's wage. So 164,000 years wages. 
uh, I read or heard recently that this was more money than was currently in circulation <laughs> uh, in Israel at the time. That's how big of a number this is. I mean, this is just falling over laughing. It's just, it's pounds upon pounds of silver or gold, right? Uh, 164,000 years of wages. Notice the servant, I mean, how could a servant even incur that great of debt? But then also the servant saying, I'll pay it all back. And the master saying, no, we're going to sell you, do the custom of the day, and he'll at least get some money from um, what all this servant owed him. But then it says so beautifully there in verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and then on the spot forgave him that debt. It's gone. 164,000 years of labor (laughs) uh, just wiped away. But it's important in the story to remember that debt doesn't just disappear. Um, It's not just the government saying like, whoops, and now there's just (laughs) the national debt just keeps going and we act like it disappears or something. Um, The master took that cost upon himself. All of that debt had been incurred by that servant. And the master, in forgiving that debt, paid it. And Jesus, telling this parable, knew what the cost was going to be. When he's telling this, he knows that the payment for that will be his suffering, his death, the shedding of his blood, so that this extraordinary debt could be forgiven. And so part of what confession does is it helps us stop and look at the balance sheet a little bit and say that this was one more or two or ten more things that were part of that debt that I could never pay. That when we come saying, Lord, forgive us our debts, part of what we are also saying is, thank you that through the work of Christ, that debt didn't disappear, but that debt was paid for. Christ took it upon himself. And that takes us toward gratitude, right? If if we think of guilt, grace, gratitude... Point one is kind of think about the guilt a little bit. Let the law do its work. But that has to take us to the gratitude that is no matter how low we go in thinking about the depths of our sin, the divine story is a comedy, not that it's laughable, but that the ending surpasses the depths of despair. That's the story of redemption. And that also has to be the story of our confession. That no matter how dark this is, it may be surprising to us we're realizing how dark this is and how much harm we've done. It's not surprising at all for God. He actually has a much more accurate tally sheet. (laughs) But it all says it's been forgiven and not just erased, but by the precious blood of Christ. And so what's essential for this process then in our hearts, because I think we all by nature are weak in the gospel. We're wired for law. If we think about our sin, we go into legalism, moralism, pride, despair. And so what do you think we need to have right with us when we're confessing our sin? I think we need a cheat sheet of our favorite verses of assurance. Because without them, we're not going to lift our hearts high enough 
to what God has done. Um, and so that could be an index card you have. It could just be verses that you know. But part of um, praying and confession is also being reminded of what God has promised to do and has done for our um, sin. Caleb, you still have the microphone? What are your favorite assurance verses about the forgiveness that you have in Christ? What are, what are verses that you could call to mind, even if you don't, can't say it word for word or don't know the reference? Just bless us with the word of what's, what um, are words of forgiveness. Any come to mind? This is a way we can compile our cheat sheet together. Patty has one, I think. You have to use the mic. Just what came to mind quickly, and I don't know where it is, so don't ask me. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far our sins cast away from us. Anyone know where that is? It's Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Let me read verses 8 to 13 because there's more even around it, but that's where I just love if you have these handles in your head. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And then we think of the cross and it says anger gone, wrath born. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion toward those who fear him. You may say, oh, I don't fear God enough. That's why I sinned in the first place. Coming to God in confession is fearing God. <laughs> it's, this verse is about you. If you're coming to him saying, I've sinned and I need grace, that's walking in the fear of God. And he can grow us in that. But yeah, Psalm 103 is just beautiful, isn't it? And then especially if we think through what we know about how all that became true through what Jesus has done. Any others? Anna. Caleb, you better stay standing. I have to read it. (laughs) Psalm 32, um, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Beautiful. Psalm 32 talks about confessing, but it talks about the forgiveness that happens there. So that's verses 5. And then if you back up to the beginning of Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. If you're trusting in Jesus, that's you. Blessed or happy or uh, we could go on and on. We'll talk about that in the Sermon on the Mount. But blessed is the man or person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Lord, there's been deceit in my heart, but I'm bringing it to you. I'm saying the same as, and uh, there's forgiveness in that. Anyone else? We'll go Piper and then Kevin. Uh, It's a verse everyone knows, obviously, but the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand strong forever. Yeah, that's great. 
yeah, that God's word and his word of forgiveness in particular will stand forever. That's really great. Yeah, Kevin. And, and Psalm, Psalm 51 is really good for this too because it takes us through the whole journey. Um, Purge me with hyssop, is verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. That's great. If God did that for David, he can do it for you. <laughs> so those are um, those are great. I, I'll throw out just a few more. Caleb, you can sit down if you want. Thanks. <laughs> Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 53 is beautiful about that. Verses 4 to 6. He's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. You can, there's so much there. Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26 talks about this promise that we'd have. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Again, these are promises that we're looking ahead that we know we have in the new covenant. And then part of the reason we're in Romans is because it's amazing for this, right? And so hopefully you'll you'll find some passages uh, in there that are, are really helpful. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. Um, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8.15-17, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So that one reorients us to that loving welcome that we have. It reorients us toward the Spirit can help us be assured of these things. Um, So that's great. So I just say, make sure it goes here and use the word to take it there. Sometimes this is a prolonged thing. A lot of times throughout the day, it's a quick thing. I know there was sin there. What was that? Take it to the Lord. Oh, I was proud. I was angry. I was impatient. Please forgive me for that. Thank you for the forgiveness I have in Christ. Thank you that your spirit is at work right now, helping me not need to do that again. Help me depend more upon your grace. Like That can be part of breathing in the Christian life. And then there can be more prolonged periods where we you know, pause and, and think through these things. Okay, the last thing then is to grow in grace toward others. This is a reason to confess our sin. Do you struggle with treating others well? Are there people who just, you can't believe they act that way and it just drives you crazy? 
Do you find yourself impatient with others or looking down upon other people or thoughts of pride, something that creep up quite a bit in your heart or someone that's just really hard for you to love? I think we probably all have that. We'll go around and you can share the names. Just making sure you're awake. We all have that, right? That's that's part of fallen human nature. Um, Christians aren't often known, unfortunately, for being gracious, humble people. Confession really helps us in that because confession helps us realize we are sinners who desperately need God's grace and so is the person who's in front of me. Um, Luke 18 Let me just read this part. It's a parable we've probably heard. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you notice how that goes together? I'm doing okay. I treat others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now let's just stop for a moment and acknowledge this Pharisee didn't do a lot of bad things. Like it's really good that he wasn't an extortioner. It's really good that he wasn't unjust, He was faithful to his spouse. He wasn't a corrupt tax collector. He did some spiritual things. Those are all good. But the problem there is the problem Jesus is is addressing, trusting in themselves that they were righteous and treating others with contempt. And that in his prayer, it's, I thank God that I am not like those sinners around me who need your grace. That's the whole problem that's there. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, declared righteous, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Coming to see our sin, how gracious God has been toward us, will keep us from praying, I thank God that I'm not like this. And it will help us say, I'm so thankful for your grace. Will you help me show that grace toward others? And then part of what that takes us back to is not only forgive us our debts, but as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Um, This brings about the heart change that enables us. Again, we did a whole class on that because there needs to be a lot of wisdom in what that looks like. But this is the heart orientation toward that. And this is exactly the thing that Jesus goes on to talk about in Matthew 18, doesn't he? That servant who had been forgiven all that debt then goes out and finds someone who owed him money and chokes him. Pay back what you owe. Um, And then that person says the exact same thing, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he doesn't hear his own words in that. Instead, he views it as a time to um, 
pay him back for his debt. And so it's the opposite of seeing the grace with which we've been forgiven. All right. It's a pretty amazing thing to be completely forgiven of our sins and then invited to say the same about those things as God says. And that's a word of guilt that we've done it, (laughs) but it's also a word of grace. It's been known and forgiven and there is help. And then it's also something that's forward-looking when we confess. One day, we won't confess anymore. It won't be part of our prayer. (laughs) It won't be part of our life because these things will be forever gone. Not because we're awesome, but because that's what Jesus secured by his blood and what the Spirit will one day bring to fruition. And we get tastes of that all now as we live in that forgiveness. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled by how far we fall short of who we were made to be and who we will one day be by your Spirit's work through the work of Christ. We thank you that that's no longer who we are, that we are people who have been made new, and that even as we see the already and the not yet of this life, it makes us stand in wonder and amazement that while we were still sinners before we even realized or ever said the same about any of our sin, Christ died for us so that we could know the wonder of being your children one day. So we thank you for this. We pray that you would grow us into humble, dependent people who absolutely delight in your grace. And with every sin that we discover that we didn't yet know, that we sit and stand in wonder of the fact that you already knew that and yet completely loved us in spite of it. So we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.